Welcome to Coffee and Lore, a brew of fabled stories. Welcome to another Coffee and Lore episode, where I get to share some of your stories. I've got my coffee ready, and I'm relaxed in my nice, comfortable office chair, ready to be spooked. Are you? Today's guest is Josiah Coffrin, host of the Darwin Awards podcast. He sent me this terrifying true story, and I've got to say, it gave me goosebumps. Let's jump right in, shall we? From 2001 until 2003, I lived in Mexico. I lived in the peninsula of Yucatan, which is the part that has Cancun on the coastline. While Cancun is a highly visited tourist area, and um, even some places around it, like Playa del Carmen and uh, Progreso, the middle portion of the peninsula gets a lot less tourist activity. In fact, almost no tourists ever go there. It is, for the most part, a dense jungle that is sparsely populated with villages here and there as you travel through it. There are ruins out there that have been undiscovered or uncovered. There are a lot of cenotes, which are underground wells, that go all through the peninsula. It is actually a beautiful place. I was fortunate enough to be able to visit these places and live in many of the towns in and around the peninsula. For a part of my time there, I lived in a place called Valladolid. Valladolid is, one would say, a big town in Mexico. It is not a village, but you get the feeling of the village in it. It is the hub for many, many, many villages that are around it. The population is low, but it does have a lot of amenities. However, the jungle still resides within Valladolid. Whenever there is a home that is not being occupied, the jungle has overtaken it. You get the beauty of living in the jungle with some of the amenities of living in a town. I was stationed in a house that was known amongst my friends as La Cueva, which means the cave. This house had no windows. It was made out of the typical concrete, as many of the houses in the area were. They were made out of concrete so as to protect them from the elements as the Yucatan Peninsula often gets a lot of hurricanes. The house was called La Cueva because it did not have any windows and is particularly dark on the inside. You would walk through a short tunnel before you got to the front door. Even in the middle of the afternoon, more often than not, you would have to shine a flashlight to be able to unlock the front door because it was so dark by the time you got there. The inside of the house was always dark. Since there were no windows, the light that came in from the front door was very little. The lights were on all day long in order to see inside the house. Here and there, light would creep in somehow, but for the most part, you needed the lights on all the time. It was an extremely old home. The floor was a dark green tile, the kind you would picture um, in an old hospital that was run down and no one was working there anymore. The walls had never been painted and were just dark 
gray concrete in all parts. The home was not very well taken care of, as people would move in and out constantly. I was transferred there as a missionary for my church. The people who lived there before me had been transferred out. I lived there with a gentleman by the name of Bryce. Bryce was the same age as me, and he was from New Mexico. Bryce and I ended up becoming very, very good friends, and we lived together for more than six months in this house. The bathroom in the house was constantly filled with flies and was very run down. There was no seat to the toilet, and there was no way to put a seat on it. The water from the shower was consistently running, and there was no separation between the toilet and the shower. It was essentially a small room with no walls. When you turn on the shower head, water would go everywhere and spray right into the toilet, and then leak out the bottom of the door, which would spill out into the room where Bryce and I lived. We all slept in hammocks because the Yucatan tends to be extremely humid and hot. I once tried sleeping on a mattress, but woke up so sweaty in the middle of the night that I could no longer take it. The hammock is the way of sleeping of the Mayan people that inhabit the Yucatan Peninsula, and Bryce and I lived that way as well for the two years that we were there. I enjoyed sleeping in a hammock each and every night. My back felt great. You could kick off the wall and sway a little bit as you would go to sleep, and you stayed nice and cool. The Yucatan Peninsula stays warm throughout the entire year, so rarely do you need a blanket. At times, I would cover myself with a little bit of a sheet during December and January, but other than that, I was just laying in the nice, warm air of Yucatan in my hammock. Before I get to the main events of what happened to me in this home, I should tell you a little bit about Bryce. Bryce was an extremely kind young man. However, he had some issues with depression. He was not very good at Spanish, and I, having lived in Mexico a far shorter amount of time than him, spoke better Spanish than he did. He struggled with the language, and it caused him great grief. At times, he would break down in tears, and I'd say, Don't worry, I'm here, I will speak Spanish for you, and you can do the best that you can. The reason for the tears were not merely for his Spanish, but also because he had some family issues at home while he was living in Mexico. His mother divorced his father and then remarried all while he was there. His grandfather was on the verge of passing away, and Bryce was upset that he couldn't be there with his grandfather, who was a great influence on his life. Bryce also would sleepwalk. This is something that I got used to. He wasn't a horrible case. He would mostly just sit up in his bed and start talking. One night I recall that he sat up in his hammock and he just stared at me for a while. And I asked Bryce, what are you doing? And he said, I'm praying. And I said, Bryce, go to sleep. And he laid down and went right to sleep. It was not uncommon for me to wake up and see him sitting up in his hammock with his eyes open. I knew that he was asleep, and I just got used to it. This is a story that I've shared over the years with my friends and my family. It's not something that I necessarily have shared with strangers, but I have been more open about it recently. At first, when I returned, I told no one of what happened to me. I made the mistake of sharing it with the wrong person at one point and was somewhat ridiculed. And since this is a story that I kind of hold near and dear to my heart, and it's strange and almost sacred to me, I at that time decided not to share it with anyone else. But in recent years, I've become much more open about it. And I've even had people share with me their experiences. 
One night, as I was asleep in my hammock, I felt something tickling the back of my neck. I brushed it away as if it were a fly and continued to try to sleep when I felt it again. But this time it felt like somebody was playing with my hair and I rolled over a little. It was at that moment that I realized that my hammock was swaying back and forth. It was somewhere around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and the wall was a little bit far away so that I could not kick off it with my foot, at least not accidentally. I could reach out intentionally if I wanted to and make myself sway a little. But this was a large swing, as if someone had pushed me. When I opened my eyes, I could see through the dim light of the alarm clocks that Bryce was awake, and he was standing next to me. He had his arms at his side, almost in a Peter Pan pose, and he was staring down at me. It was somewhat dark, so I could only see the outline of him but he was definitely there standing next to me looking at me. Because I was used to the sleepwalking that he often did, this is not something that really freaked me out at the moment. I realized that most people waking up and finding someone staring at them would react extremely negatively. But I was used to it, so I did not. All I said was, Bryce, what do you want? He did not answer. He continued to stare down at me with his hands on his hips. Again, I repeated, What do you want? And again, there was no answer. It was at this point that I decided to look a little more intensely at this person that was standing next to me. You know when you see, like, a ghost in the corner of your room and you turn on the light and it was just your vacuum cleaner with the hat on it? I felt like this at this moment and I wondered if Bryce was really standing next to me. And I looked harder. He was definitely there. The house is extremely dark, but he was definitely there standing right next to me, just staring at me. My hammock had been moving, and he had been playing with my hair. I knew he was there. So I said louder, thinking that he was still asleep. Bryce, what do you want? It was then that he answered. He said, what? He responded with the words, what? As if he had just been woken up abruptly. His voice, however, came from across the room where his hammock lied. I knew that the person standing next to me and staring at me was not Bryce. Have you ever been so scared that you're afraid to talk or you can't even get out the words? Some people describe this sensation as sleep paralysis. I have studied sleep paralysis and spoken to a lot of people about their experiences with sleep paralysis. I have never experienced this, and at that moment, I did not have sleep paralysis. I was completely awake, lying in my hammock. My feet had gone down to touch the floor so that I could stand up if I wanted to. I was merely so scared that I could not speak. I could move and found myself trying to scoot back in my hammock but unable to. The only words that could escape my mouth were, Someone is in the house. Someone is in the house. Bryce was awake. He responded with the word, What? All I needed to do was alert him that someone was in the house. At this moment, I thought that perhaps it might be a burglar or some sort of person that meant me harm standing right next to me. I was afraid to speak, thinking that he might strike out at me or jump on me or do any number of things. Finally, the words, Someone is in the house, 
three times escaped my lips. Bryce, thinking that there was a robber in the house, stood up and ran across the room. It was too dark for him to see, but he instinctively knew where my hammock was. He grabbed his machete, which we kept by our sides most of the time, and ran out of the room thinking that someone was breaking in through the front door. He left me completely alone with the stranger standing next to me. In the short period of time that I had alone with this stranger, I looked more intently at him. This personage was staring at me, and I could feel a feeling of hate emanating from him. He seemed to draw closer, but never did, just stood staring at me. I became so scared that I began to cry. Bryce, as he entered the living room, turned on the lights. The moment the light leaked into the bedroom, the personage that was standing next to me slowly faded into thin air. It was not an immediate fade, but a very slow fade, as I could still see his outline as the light entered the room. I lost it at that moment. I had seen something that I had never seen before, and I cried uncontrollably. Bryce came running back into the room asking me what was wrong, having found no one breaking and entering our house. I told him what I had seen and told him what had happened, and he said, that he had felt something bad in the home as well. I'm not sure if he was just saying that to make me feel better, and I'm not sure if he did actually feel bad because he thought somebody was actually breaking into our home. But he was scared. We stayed up the rest of the night. It was too dark out to leave, but it was too scary to stay inside the house. We kept the lights on, we got dressed, and we left the home as soon as the sun started to show itself. We did not return back to our house all day long. The house, to me, had become a scary place. I had not even thought of it as scary before. It was just kind of creepy and dank and smelly and mildewy and strange. But now, the house became a haunted house. I did not want to go in there and be in there at nighttime at all, especially with how dark it was all the time. We made the mistake of staying out too late and only returning that night when it was dark again. This night we left all the lights on, and I barely slept at all. I found an old sheet and covered myself with it head to toe. Even though I was hot and sweating, I was not going to leave myself exposed in my hammock that night, even with the lights on. Bryce did the same. We both slept completely head to toe underneath sheets that night, sweating profusely in our hammocks. Thinking back on it, it's somewhat funny, but at the time, we were scared to death. I did manage to doze that night, but again I woke at around the same time feeling that same tickling sensation in the back of my neck and feeling my hammock swaying back and forth. This time I stayed underneath the sheet and did not come out. Once I was able to talk, I said, Bryce, wake up. Luckily he was already awake in his hammock. I told him what I was feeling and he said he felt horrible. We both decided to count to three and jump out from underneath our sheets at the same time. We did so. One, two, three. When we emerged, we saw nothing. Again, it was very early in the morning. We got dressed and left the home very early and did not return. Some days later, after nothing happened in the house, we decided that we were going to put up Christmas lights because we were unable to sleep with all the lights on, but we were also in desperate need of it. As we told people around our neighborhood what had happened to us in the home, 
the Mexican people reacted very differently from the people that I experienced in the United States. When I told those in the U.S. of the story what had happened to me, people responded with incredulity. They tried to rationalize what had happened. They tried to come up with ways that it could have happened or how my mind had been playing tricks on me. Though I had seen it, I know what I saw, and I know how I felt. No one could convince me otherwise. That night, in my journal, I wrote all the events that had taken place that day. I wanted to record every detail of what I had felt and what I had seen so that I could never be convinced later to forget it or that it had not occurred. The people of Mexico that I told of the story told me that the same thing had happened to them or that perhaps it was my father or my grandfather coming to visit me. Perhaps it was the devil telling me that what I was doing was too good and it needed to be corrupted and sent home. They all had their own interesting interpretations, but they were much more open to the fact that I had actually seen a ghost or a spirit or something that was haunting me. It wasn't so much as what I had seen, but also what I had felt. I had felt an extreme negativity emanating from this being. He was all black with a silvery outline. I could not make out any details of his complexion, his face, or any part of his body except for the outline of him from head to toe. But he was a person, and somehow I could tell that he was a man. Perhaps it was his stature, the way he was standing, I'm not entirely sure. He was staring down at me, and he was mad at me. I felt anger, and I felt hate, and I felt malintent. I was later transferred from the home and happily moved into a much better place in a much better location. I still miss my days in Valladolid. I love the town and I love the people. In fact, some years later, after I was married, I took my wife on a trip back to Valladolid. We stayed in a local hotel that we fell in love with, and we even one day went to visit the home known as La Cueva. When I knocked on the door, I was greeted by two missionaries that were living in the home much like me. I did not tell them what had occurred in the home. But as I entered, I got that same negative feeling of a dark and dusty and haunted home. In the movie Just Like Heaven, the character John Heater is asked if he believes in ghosts and hauntings. His response is, Well, you don't until you do. You know what I mean? This is exactly how I felt. It is easy to dismiss some stories as merely a figment of someone's imagination. But once I had this experience, I became much more open to hearing the experiences of others, and have been surprised to find that many people have had experiences similar to mine. Thank you for hearing my story, and if you'd like any further details, I'd be willing to respond. the same to be true. Once someone is brave enough to share their paranormal experience, it's surprising how many others will open up with their own. Many thanks to Josiah for sharing his story with us. You can find more about him and his podcast in the show notes. If you have a story you'd like to share, email me at vanessa at fablecollective.com. As always, 
Thank you for listening.